Plaza Direct King's Court starts now.
good Tuesday morning, St. Louis and all parts northeast, south, and west. We welcome you in. This is the Window World King's Court on KevinSlaytonShow.com. This is the only place you can hear the show live every Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 Central Daylight Time. But you can hear the podcast right here on our website. Also at Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Google, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. You'll find us. And thanks to you, you have put us in the top 5% of all podcasts worldwide. That's over 3 million podcasts. We're in the top 5% listenership. And we thank you for that because without you, we couldn't do it. And I always remind people, if you want to help out further, simply Google Kevin Slayton King's Court. Scroll down to where it has Apple Podcasts. Click on it. You'll see the three little dots. Click follow. And then scroll down to where it says write a review and just write something. It doesn't matter what you write. Write the sun is shining. The sun is not shining. Kevin's a jerk. Kevin's great. It doesn't matter. It helps us out. And so please, please, you can do it every day, by the way. You don't have to just do it on one day. So help us out in that respect because it keeps us on the air, folks. It helps us attract sponsors. And that's how we are able to bring the truth, the unvarnished truth, backed by facts and evidence to you every day. And we've got a wallop of a show today. As everybody is aware, I'm sure by now, the shooting in Tennessee at a Christian church and school by a trans, whatever you call them, God. Transsexual, tranny, trans nutcase, trans whack job. But you won't hear that on most of the corporate media because they're not broadcasting it. They're they're saying it's a guy or a gal, whichever they're going to prefer for the day. But they're not letting you know that it was a tranny and it was a tranny with a hate crime. They love these hate crime things. See, I don't believe there's such a thing as a hate crime. I think all violent crime is hate personified. But they love to say it's a hate crime if it's a gay involved or a black person or any minority for that matter, Asian. It's a hate crime. It's especially hateful. It's not, but that's what they love to say. But when it's a Christian and a bunch of white Christians that are murdered, it's not a hate crime all of a sudden. There's no there's no demand for a hate crime investigation. So we're going to get into that. I don't know if you've seen the video of this it chillingly walking through the hallways of the school after shooting out the front door. But it all comes down to the same thing, and it all comes down to the same thing every time there's a school shooting, and that is you are allowing soft targets to be attacked. And until the day you defend the schools, then you can give it up. And don't give me any of your nonsense like this idiot Jessica Tarlov on the five yesterday saying there's nothing that would be more traumatic for a child than seeing armed guards at every door. What are you five? You candy ass liberal. I guess it's not more traumatic for the kids to see their friends slaughtered, their teachers murdered right in front of them. That's not traumatic at all. That cop standing there with a gun. Now that will hurt the kids. You effing moron, you should be silenced forever. You should never be allowed to speak again. 
I'm going to invoke the stupidity doctrine, which says you're so stupid you shouldn't be allowed to speak. And that woman is that stupid. We've all had guards in our schools going way back to the 40s and 50s. We've always had school resource officers or something of their like. I've never been afraid when I saw a cop at my school. Never. Unless he was there to investigate a murder. Then it would bother me. Or worse yet, a mass murder. But no, the liberals are afraid. If you put those armed guards at the door, the poor little kids will freak out. No, they won't. You know what they freak out about? When they see some nutcase, whack job tranny, shooting the front door out of the school. Now, that'll make you freak out. So once again, this can all be solved so easily, but liberals refuse to solve it. Because in the liberal world, as long as there's something to bitch about, as long as there's a grievance, they think they can get elected because they'll blame the Republicans for it. That's how they operate. But I will tell you this, that if you continue to have soft targets as schools, you will continue to have mass murders. It's not going to stop today because the liberals are all upset. It's not going to stop if you run around and try to confiscate everybody's guns. It's not going to stop it. What's going to stop it is armed resistance. Secure the schools. Do you know what happened to that thing that came over that school yesterday? As soon as it would have gotten out of its little van in the parking lot, armed to the gills, two retired police officers or two retired veterans assigned to guard the school would have blown it to pieces in the parking lot. There would have been one death, and it would have done society a favor. Instead, the liberals get their way, and the school is a soft target, and there are six innocent people murdered three children, nine years old each, and three faculty members. And, of course, the tranny's dead, too. So the tranny would have been dead either way. But my way, you would have six people still alive. The liberals' way, you have six people dead. It can't get any more basic than that. You can say whatever you want. You can try to investigate mental health. You can do this. You can do that. Until you arm the schools, this will not stop. People that carry out these kinds of crimes are basic cowards. Do you know what a coward is, liberals? It's you. You are all cowards, and this is how you operate. I mean, I remember when I was a kid in grade school at our Lady of Good Counsel grade school, which, of course, no longer exists since they took it away and sold it off. The Catholics are good at selling stuff off. Sold it off to the public schools. But we used to have police officers and firefighters come and talk to us on a regular basis about what they do for a living, how they protect us. Pretty cool stuff. I used to think it was cool when the cops came. Firemen, I wanted to be a fireman for a while. Until I realized you had to actually go in and fight fires. <laughs> that ended that thought. 
By the way, I'm going to say this, too, about the police yesterday down in uh, Tennessee. We had a lot of criticism for the way the police handled things in Uvalde, Texas. And I'm going to level the same criticism at the police yesterday in Tennessee based on the facts that have come out. The facts say this. The first call went out, and it wasn't until 15 minutes later that this person was dead. Now, that alone doesn't bother me because there's drive time. There's, you know, figuring out what's going on. But what bothers me is that police officers arrived there at the scene, and it took 14 minutes to kill this person. Why? Why'd they wait 14 minutes? Why, once again, didn't they go right into the school? Which is what heroes do. They said the two police officers, when they entered the school 14 minutes later, heard gunshot upstairs. They immediately went upstairs and took the target out. Good for them. 14 minutes too late. All you have to do is think about how long 14 minutes is. Think about how long four minutes is when someone has weapons and no one else does. Think of the damage that can be done in four minutes, in 40 seconds. 40 seconds. And yet the police once again waited 14 minutes. Why? There was no mystery as to how the person got in the school. They know right where they went in. The doors were blown off. Yeah, you got to locate them. You don't just run in there. But you start going door to door. I'm assuming that the police in Tennessee were just as petrified as police anywhere that the woke crowd of liberals would criticize their every move. I don't care. Be criticized for saving lives. Don't be criticized for not saving lives as I'm criticizing you. Police departments better get with it. They better understand how to attack these situations. And by attack, I mean attack. I don't mean lay back and wait. Wait for what? What are you waiting for? What in God's name are you waiting for? To protect and to serve. I've seen that on the doors of police cars. And yet the police don't protect and they don't serve. And we can explain it away as much as we want to by the defunding of the police and by the cowardly liberals trying to defang the police so that they won't even do their jobs. But any cop worth a damn gets to that school, knows there's a shooter in there killing people, they go in. Unless somebody stopped them. Who stopped them? They, they'd go in anyway. The heroes would. So the police once again failed miserably in a school shooting. But again, we wouldn't have to have this conversation if you'd simply secure the target. It's not hard. Israel arms the teachers. Any teacher that wants to be armed in an Israeli school is armed. You know how many school shootings they've had since the 1990s when they had their last one? Zero. So we can go through this all the time. We can listen to some psychopathic woman who goes to the microphones after the police chief or the police spokesman got done talking and says, aren't you tired of this to the media? Aren't you tired of covering this? 
When's it going to stop? You better call Washington and you better get these politicians to blah, 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 and gun, 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 gun. Shut up. Shut the F up, lady. You whining wench. You stop it by putting retired police, retired military veterans at the doors, every exit, every entrance of a school, and it never happens again. No child would ever lose lose their life to gun violence if you did that. Gun violence in school, I should say. The parking lot would be the cemetery for these psychopathic shooters. But here's the other part of it. They wouldn't be getting killed either because they wouldn't go there. If they would, why haven't one of these whack jobs attacked a police station? How about a military base? They don't go there because the targets are secured. Again, remember always, these people are at heart basic cowards. Cowards don't go where there's resistance. They might encounter some later on at a school, but not at first. They get their murdering done, and then they either kill themselves like cowards do or wait for the cops to kill them. In the meantime, they can kill more people. 14 minutes. How much damage could you do in a target-rich environment with no resistance in 14 minutes? To be honest with you, this whack job tranny wasn't very good at her murdering job. Six people in 14 minutes? Could have taken out 100. We can praise God for that. It wasn't very good. And of course, the liberals don't want the kids to ever grow up liking the police, so they want to criticize the police. But I can promise you this. I don't have a child of, of a school age, but I'll, I, but I'll guarantee you, anyone who does understands that... It, those kids will feel much safer if they know they're protected. The Jessica Tarloves of the world are the reasons why we have these things and why we have the liberals whining and bitching about securing the targets. Since the moment I came on the air until this very moment, it's been 14 minutes. How many people do you think I could have taken out in 14 minutes in that allotment of time if I was armed and they weren't? Just think about it. Only by the grace of God are only six people dead. It had nothing to do with the police response. They didn't save anybody. Those six people are dead because the police didn't do their job. Of course, we have a whack job who got into the school because the school districts aren't doing their job and the Catholic school's not doing its job and the Christian schools aren't doing their job because they're all a bunch of candy asses. Secure the schools. End of discussion. But what does Biden do? Oh, right away he'll talk about gun safety and all this, you know, gun violence, calling the guns that this 
whack job had AK-47s. Well, they weren't AK-47s, but you're an ass. You don't know the difference. Wow. The sooner this guy is gone, the better this country will be. That's not earth-shattering. But it gets worse every day that he opens his mouth. And why are we like we are? Well, we're going to get into all of that, too. So we're here for you. So is Window World. Window World can put windows in your house today that will withstand any storm that you see going around other than a tornado. But hail, Window World windows aren't afraid of hail. I can prove to you that. I had windows that broke with hail, crashed right through it. That's why I now have Window World windows. But I have them for a myriad of reasons. But what I did when the hail crashed through was called 314-993-1800. 314-993-1800. And they came out and proved to me in my house free how they're simply the best for less. A free in-home estimate awaits you. The preferred window of the Blues, you betcha that's what they are. They're the official window of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. They don't just get into business with anybody. Neither of those organizations do. But Window World brings you a lifetime warranty that covers all parts, glass breakage, and labor. That's right. Glass breakage. Now, how do they do that? Double-strength glass, that's how. That kind of strength isn't seen very ordinarily. And I can tell you this. I jumped on those windows, kicked them, tried to crease them, crack them, break them, damage them in any way. I couldn't do it. That's how durable their windows are. 314-993-1800. Window World offers you 18 months same-as-cash financing with approved credit as well. Well, I said, why have we gotten like we are? Because we are a candy-ass country that is littered with candy asses everywhere. And yesterday there was a poll from the Wall Street Journal that said the importance of patriotism among our countrymen in 1998 was 70%. Today, it's 38%. That's right. People in this country think so little of being patriotic that only 38% of them consider it important. In another poll from the Wall Street Journal, they asked about companies taking a stance on social and political issues. 56% of Democrats are in favor of it. They want woke companies like Disney. 80% of Republicans opposed it. If you had, well, I'll get into the black thing a little later, but this is indicative of a softer society. And why are they so soft? Because Biden and Harris want to kiss your ass, give you everything so that you don't have to work for it. That's another poll said Americans don't think working hard is to be admired. Here's why. This is about equity. And whether or not we are truly committed to the principles of equity in every way that we as government and as a society can enforce those important principles. One of the reasons I'm so optimistic about this nation is that today's generation of young Americans is the most progressive, thoughtful, inclusive generation that America has ever seen, forcing us to confront the huge gap in economic, excuse me, economic inequity. Yes, forcing us to confront systemic racism. 
and white supremacy. How about systemic stupidity? Have you confronted that? Because you're the leader of it. Systemic race baiting, that would be you. Systemic fear mongering, that would be you. It's all about equity, she says. Right, it's all about making sure that we're a socialist country and that everybody has the exact same amount. Doesn't matter how hard you work. Doesn't matter if you work at all. We want you to have the same amount. Screw those rich people. They worked hard. Screw those people in the middle. They worked hard. But you down here that hasn't worked, come on, we're going to give you everything. And you know where we're going to get it? We're going to take it from those people that worked hard. How do you like that? That's what we're going to do. That's why nobody cares anymore about this country. Thanks to people like Biden, who couldn't resist mentioning racism and white supremacy there at the end, couldn't he? Systemic. He's a systemic. Kevin McCarthy is appalled at the lack of patriotism shown and displayed by that poll number. To think to this day that people don't honor the patriotism of the sacrifice that these men and women have provided to bring this freedom. I mean, this is shocking to me, but I watch every day in Congress the attack on America. I watched a a resolution on the floor to denounce socialism, and 100 Democrats voted no on that. I watched just last week to give parents a bill of rights just to know what's being taught in their children's school, to know what money's being spent, to know if there's a violent activity there. And... All the Democrats voted no on that. Why can't we be proud of America? America's more than a country. America's an idea. And there's no other nation in the world that's conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that we are all equal. No other country espouses the great things we did, the light shining on the hill, as President Reagan once told us. But our country doesn't espouse any of those things anymore. It's all gone. It's like I remember Jim McKay broadcasting for ABC News at the Munich Olympics in 1972 after everyone had died at the airport, and he said, they're all gone. That's how I look at this country. It's gone. It's absolutely gone. And you can sit there and get mad at me. Getting mad at me doesn't do any good. Get mad at the people that caused it. I'm just here telling you the truth. Don't shoot the messenger. Get mad at the people who've caused it. If you're a liberal, you've caused it. So get mad at yourself. But you won't because you couldn't give two shits about patriotism. That's like a curse word to liberals. Patriotism. Yeah, that's right. Your grandfathers, maybe your fathers, risked their lives so that you would have freedom. And this is how you abuse it? Listen to this black Democrat uh, rep saying that woke means racism. (laughs) The whole discussion about woke is really a dog whistle against African-American, against black people, against people of color. The things that they are deeming as woke are the things that are trying to make us a more inclusive country uh, by having books, by letting our children learn about others other than themselves. I learned about others other than myself, and I went to school decades ago. I didn't need sexual perverted books. She wants to have books. She wants them to have those books. Inclusive, all inclusive. I've had black friends since the day I was a little kid. What do you mean inclusive? What does that even mean? 
Do I need to have a certain number of black friends? Do black kids need to have a certain number of white friends? Do Asian kids have to have a certain number of Indian friends? What is wrong with you nutcases? You psychopaths? You you criminal country stealers? Jason Woodlock had it figured out. There's just not enough racism to go around, so they have to create some. There's just not enough racism, and so they're inventing new forms of racism. And the next thing CNN will be telling us is about digital lynching. And digital lynching is when uh, someone criticizes Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, or Stacey Abrams, or Kamala Harris. And then they'll have digital slavery. And that'll be when Trump returns to Twitter and someone likes a Trump tweet. That's digital slavery. And then there'll be systemic digital racism. And that will be, and that is when Elon Musk purchased Twitter and quit shadow banning uh, conservatives. That's, you know, systemic digital racism. They got to come up with this stuff because they're hiding from the fact, they're trying to cover the fact that while anti-black racism has decreased in America and everybody can see it, anti-white racism has increased in America and anybody that's not have their head in the sand buried can see that. Carpe diem Jason Whitlock. Oh my God, a black man talked about anti-white racism? What's going on? Liberals, can you imagine how much liberals hate him? Just think about it. They hate people like me. They hate people like you. They really hate him. They're thinking, how did that black man get away from us? He was referring to memes that are going around on social media. If a meme has a black person in it, all of a sudden it means that you're a racist. If you laughed at it, if you used it, if you shared it. Imagine this. This is what CNN wrote on their own website. If you're black and you've shared such images online, you get a pass. Here they're actually admitting what they are. But if you're white, you may have inadvertently perpetuated one of the most insidious forms of contemporary racism. You may be wearing digital blackface. (laughs) There's just not enough racism to go around, Whitlock said. Sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. No, there's not, Forrest. There's not enough racism, so they got to create it. Digital blackface. CNN admits what they are. If you're white, you're awful. But if you're black, you get a pass. But you digital whiteface white people, or you digital blackface white people, I can't even keep my colors straight. And Whitlock understands what CNN and MSNBC and the rest of the liberal corporate media is all about. They want to distract us from what the, they're doing and the Democrat politicians are doing. These organizations, CNN, most of corporate media, they're there to distract us from the truth. Right. That's and right. the truth is that China is sexually perverting young people. Disney is sexually perverting young people. They're normalizing this whole transgender thing and corrupting our kids and targeting our kids. They want us debating silly stuff, digital right. blackface, That's right. and not looking at the pure evil that they're imposing on kids. Yeah. If they were doing it to me and you, we could handle it. We can fight. They're doing it to kids. It's evil. It's wicked. It's satanic. 
It's all of those things. And it's systemic. I love to use Biden's words. Systemic. Well, Mr. Catholic Joe Biden was joking and being very cavalier yesterday at the White House with some of his cronies when the news of the shooting in Tennessee was made known. So the Catholic Biden doesn't even mention that this was a Christian school and the obvious anti-Christian bias that was associated with the shooting by a tranny. Oh, my God, one of our people? It can't be. Let's just say it was a woman. We won't use the word transgender. It's a woman. We'll say how surprising it is that it's not a white man. We'll just say it's a woman, but no mention of tranniness. Can't have that. And then we'll say, go get your guns. Here's the Catholic boy himself. I just want to speak very briefly about the school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, uh, the shooter in this situation reported we had two assault weapons and a pistol, two AK-47. So I call on Congress again to pass my assault weapons ban. It's about time that we begin to make some more progress. What? Two AK-47s? Of course it's not true. Just another Biden lie. But he didn't mention one for one second about it being a hate crime. Mr. Catholic. It's a Christian school. Attacked by a whack job who's a transgender, who, by the way, has mentioned how much it hates Tennessee and the government of Tennessee, the governor signing into law a bill that bans trannies and chopping off your biological parts when you're a minor. So they don't like that. The trannies don't like that, of course. And this one decided to take it out on Christians, who, of course, support the governor's bill. But he didn't mention that, did he, Biden? No, he didn't. And did you know that the trans radicals are planning a day of vengeance in Washington, D.C., right alongside firearms training? Seminars, a group of transgender activists planning a day of vengeance in D.C. for March 31st through April 2nd. It's this weekend. While raising money for firearms training this week, that that is a group that is having firearms training, and the trannies are going to try to be right next to them. A day of vengeance. Sounds like a day of violence to me. That's just me, though. Call me crazy. I wonder if Ketanji Brown-Jackson is telling us that that was a woman who shot up the school yesterday. Because after all, how, how would she know? She's not a biologist. So shame on me for saying it's a woman. But ABC News decided... Now, we can't blame trannies. We can't blame black people because she's not black. Let's blame the Tennessee governor and the conservatives in Tennessee for the bill that they signed. She's a former student of the school and confirmed that 
Audrey Hill was a identified herself as a transgender person. Uh, it, state of Tennessee earlier this month passed and the governor signed a bill that banned transgender medical care for minors as well as uh, a law that prohibited adult entertainment including male and female impersonators after a series of drag show controversies in that state. Entertainment? It's not entertainment when drag shows in front of children are performing sex acts. That's not entertainment. That's perversion, you pervert. And you are a pervert. And you are a pervert. If you want to conduct your perversion in California or Illinois or New York, have at it, dude. But there are other states like Tennessee who prefer their people to be wholesome and normal, not complete whacked-out sex perverts, pedophiles, like your leadership in Washington is. And Karine Jean Pierre, the little black lesbian, gosh, she must have been upset. She mentioned nothing about trannies, but boy, that gun violence. We want to express the president's appreciation for the first responders and prayers for all the families affected by this shooting. While we don't know yet all the details in this latest tragic shooting, we know that too often our schools and communities are being devastated by gun violence. Schools should be safe spaces for our kids to grow and learn and for our educators to teach. Well, they would be if you'd simply secure them. But no, you won't do that because then you couldn't complain about gun violence. Imagine imagine a liberal's head exploding if they had the picture in their head of all schools are secure, no more gun violence at schools. Liberals would die if you did that. They can't stand that thought. They want to see children die. They want to see children murdered and slaughtered so that they can then Take it out on law-abiding gun owners. I love it when they say, if we ban assault weapons, whatever those are, that'll stop it. How's that going to stop anything? Do you think that people who want to kill won't be able to get guns? Do you really think that? Look at this thing. It went out and got guns legally. Legally. I don't know if they were its guns. It was only about 16 years old, apparently. Probably parents' guns. But somehow was able to obtain them. So if you ban them, they're going to obtain them anyhow. It doesn't stop them. They'll get their hands on them. Victor Davis Hanson, who is one of the great thinkers of our time, a fellow at the Hoover Institute, has plenty of smart things to say, but when it comes to this, he's really smart. And as far as Joe Biden's concerned? As far as Joe Biden, he demagogued it from the very beginning. He always calls these weapons assault weapons as if they're fully automatic. He says they were AK-47s. Those are illegal uh, to buy unless you've got some ancient weapon, but they're, they're fully automatic weapons that are outlawed. So he, he lies, he exaggerates, and he tries to demagogue the issue for political support for the reasons that you outlined. He has, there's no agenda otherwise that's appealing to Americans. So they're going to use this agenda 
and it's really despicable for the tragic lives that were lost. And the, the emphasis is on the attacker and not the attack. And that's what's really despicable. It's completely despicable. But that's how the liberals are. You could expect and predict exactly how the liberals were going to react to this. It's all about gun violence. It's not about some whack job tranny who has no idea what it's doing, who sends text to its friend hours before attacking the school saying that I'm going to die today. You'll probably read about me in the news today. Now, of course, that friend, if that friend did not immediately call law enforcement, should be investigated and charged with as an accomplice. How many times do law enforcement people have to say, when you see something, say something? But either this person didn't, or they did, and police refused to act on it. I don't know which is which. Facts haven't all come out yet. But we know that it is a fact that these texts were sent from the shooter to this friend. The friend's response was, oh, Audrey, you have much more to live for. I'm praying for you. Praying for you? You should have taken your phone, stopped texting, and called law enforcement immediately. This nut job just told you they're going to do something awfully violent that day and then kill themselves. Because if you just killed yourself, we wouldn't read about you in the news. So the key was, you're going to probably read about me in the news today. If that doesn't say to you, I'm planning on shooting up a school or a mall or something like that, some defenseless target, then you're not paying attention. You haven't been alive for the last 15, 20 years. It's sickening. Kiara Johnson an executive director of something called the LGBTQ plus task force. Extremists um, have latched on to LGBTQ fear. I mean, there's so much going on in our country. Um, and we're, and yet we are seeing a proliferation of attacks on our community. A proliferation of attacks on our community. Excuse me? Your community is planning a vengeance display in Washington, D.C. this weekend. Your community is in different locations causing violence. The whole mentality is warped, isn't it, Victor Davis Hanson? This whole morality is warped. The transgendered movement is destroying women's sports. Thousands of women are being deprived of an equal opportunity to compete. And these drag shows are not just drag shows. They're simulated sex acts in front of kids. And all of a sudden we're saying that that's immune from the, our, our intolerance for that type of activity. So this ideological protection, this exemption is really destroying the culture and it's destroying the faith of the American people and the equality of the application of the law. And it's really fundamental that people speak out against this stuff. And everybody's intimidated, the corporate people especially. And this group is, is not uh, a, a soft, fuzzy, kind group. They're using tactics that are really barbarous. Carpe diem. Wow. 
craziness, isn't it? Good for you, Victor Davis Hanson. Good for you. From what I'm understanding, and we get reports, of course, as they occur, but our research assistant has discovered that the person that this nutcase was texting with did call the police right away and was put on hold. I'm telling you, police departments need to self-examine immediately. I'm not a radical lunatic. I don't call for defunding police. I call for firing police in charge. Anyone associated with putting this person on hold should be fired immediately. You don't need an investigation. Find out who put them on hold. You're fired. And we're going to charge you. We're going to charge you with criminal negligence so that it never happens again. Put them on hold. I don't even know where to begin with that. Cleo's up. Good morning, Cleo. How are you? Good morning, Kevin. How's it going, man? It's going well today. Can you hear me all right? I hear you just fine. Good, good. Uh, you know, the perversion angle, obviously, you know, is a sound argument, you know, perverted. What I'm getting at, man, is the cavalier attitude, funny attitude that this guy exhibits to start the press conference. The police that chief? Is, no, uh, Biden. Oh, Biden, yeah. That is deplorable. I was going to say, I didn't see the police chief say anything that was... That was cavalier or funny. He, in fact, said he was moved to tears when he saw these bodies coming out. And how could you not be? Well, yes, he had compassion. But we have we have a, a president here who is not only unpresidential, he's deplorable. He has no sense of shame at all. He doesn't care about people. No. Why would anybody start it off in a humorous fashion talking about friggin' ice cream? This, this is like the... Uh, when the, Afghan, the bodies came over from Afghanistan, right. remember his he was watch. looking at his watch a half a dozen times. Yeah, he doesn't care. You think Biden cares about anybody other than himself? I don't even think he cares about his own family. He cares well, about means, himself, and he cares about enriching himself. Well, exactly. Well, this means, this needs to be highlighted by the Republicans. They need to call now, call on this man for, for his deplorable attitude. Because I guarantee you, if Trump did something like this, they wouldn't they, they wouldn't get off of it for weeks. Well, just imagine if this were a straight white male who shot up a black church, as has happened, or a, a, a white straight male who shot up a Jewish synagogue, as has happened. You remember the coverage of that. But it's a tranny, one of their favorites, shooting up a Christian school, one of their hated rivals, that's how they see Christians. And so it's not really a big deal. The poor little tranny who shot them, it's not, it's not that person's fault. It's you conservatives. You're the ones who passed the bill in Tennessee who said this little tranny couldn't get medical help until they were of age. How dare you? We're going to get you. We'll show you. And when you do get shot and murdered, we don't care. Yeah, that's it. that's it. We don't care. Biden doesn't care about anybody. He doesn't care about the 200 people a week that are dying from fentanyl that he could prevent if he closed the border. 
Republicans need to highlight this fact that this man is should not be in office. He's got to go. He's a deplorable, not only a deplorable president, but a deplorable human being. I'm getting, well, the, I'm getting reports manner. from friends who's, who were watching. I wasn't watching at the time, but they say that Fox had to break away from the press conference because Biden was yucking it up so much they thought either he hadn't heard about the shooting or forgot about it. <laughs> well, he doesn't. He doesn't care about. He doesn't no. care about people dying. Right. He doesn't care as as long as it's not his war hero son, Bo. Well, Republicans need to make this an issue. What I'm trying to say, they need to make, they make a deep, big deal about it. They need to have all those clips. They need to play them until the cows come home. And as Miranda Devine is going to tell us later on in our show here, Donald Trump needs to start focusing on what he's going to do. Lay to rest the 2020 election. Lay to rest Alvin Bragg. We've heard enough about Alvin Bragg. We all know what a corrupt, rotten rodent that he is. Now let's focus on what you're going to do for us, Mr. President. And that's, I think, what he needs to do. Forget about DeSantis. Focus on you. What are you going to do for us? Well, I agree with that completely, as, as a few other commentators have mentioned. But is Alan Bragg at the case go yet? No, no. The grand jury decided not to vote again yesterday. There's not going to be an indictment. There, there, well, first of all, there can't yeah. be, but uh, there won't be. So we'll, we'll take care of that. All right, I got to scoot. Okay, great. Thanks, Cleo. Welcome back. Molly Hemingway understands these radical LGBTQers are everywhere, and they're causing a lot of trouble. Well, some of these radical groups had particularly asked people to focus on Tennessee because they recently passed and signed legislation that would protect underage children from permanent sterilization or genital mutilation. And this is something that we're seeing sort of trans-related violence being supported by people in elite institutions, and it... You know, it's very important to to deal with it. I think however much you dislike or have disgust toward the corporate media, today showed that it's not enough. I mean, their behavior in trying to blame the people of Tennessee for this violence against this Christian community, these children, these Christian teachers, is really despicable. I think we have to come up with different words to describe these liberals and these media people. Despicable is just not horrific enough. They're far worse than despicable. Now, most of us would not ever want to be called despicable because we are good, God-fearing people who believe in the principles that founded this country. And so calling us despicable would be horrific. That would be terrible. But it's not bad enough for liberals. First of all, it doesn't bother them. They wear it as a badge of honor. The more despicable they can be, the better they like themselves though I doubt that they ever like themselves. Jonathan Gilliam is a former Navy SEAL, and he did some work in terms of research on these mass shooters and these school shooters. And this is something I've never heard before, but he said it as it's a fact. It is a fact that the majority of school shooters and mass shooters that we've had in the recent history in this nation are all people who have sexual identity dysfunctions. And the medical industry will no no longer diagnose people with these dysfunctions. They now classify these people as having medical conditions. And this is a problem because people are growing up playing video games, which this person was a video game uh, fanatic. 
So a video game fanatic who had sexual issues, and these are trends. John Gilliam has researched the topic. Didn't know that. I said something about this shooter being 16. 28 is the correct age of it. Imagine having detailed maps of the building. So this was something, in in addition to conducting surveillance, that you've been planning for a long time. Now, the mother apparently gave an interview, which tells you something about the mother. Most mothers would be in severe mourning and grief if their tranny child shot up children. The last thing I would do as a parent is a freaking interview. But this one's mother did an interview saying that she it's just hard for her to handle her daughter being gone. <laughs> wow. It's incredible. According to the police chief there, investigators believe that the shooter harbored some resentment for having to go to that school as a child. Okay, you didn't like to go there. So maybe today, little Johnny doesn't want to go to, I don't know, CBC. Would have rather gone to St. Louis U High or DeSmet or Vianney or some other Catholic school. Or maybe wanted to go to Parkway Central or Parkway West. So do most kids, or how about this? Maybe they wanted to go to CBC, but their parents couldn't afford it, so they went to Parkway West. Does that person grow up and shoot people, kill people? No. No, they don't. Because it happens every day. And they don't shoot anybody. But this, these people, like this shooter, have an entire media culture geared toward telling them how victimized they are and how it's society's fault. And in this case, probably it's the Christian's fault in Tennessee. And so if, if you have anger and you have a murderous rage within you, and you play a lot of video games where murdering people is second nature, why not play your video game fantasy out? And no matter what conclusion you come to, it all doesn't happen if you secure the school. Victor Davis Hanson thinks we're losing deterrence on these issues. We are losing deterrence, and we're losing it because of ideology. So the violence we saw in New Zealand, the violence we saw at the Texas legislature, we forget that Judge Duncan was shouted down at Stanford Law School because transgendered students were mad that he identified a pedophile by his biological sex. And now we have this incident. And the... The theme is that if you are of a particular transgender position, then you're immune from the consequences of your own actions. And that lowers the bar of deterrence, and more people feel that they can act violently and then contextualize that by their politics. And that's part of a larger 
uh, leftist landscape we're living in with the Soros DAs, where a lot of DAs are doing the same thing, only instead of transgenderism, they're using race to mitigate felonies and, and charge them with misdemeanors, if at all. And then we see it on a national scale, the disparity between the May, June, July 2020 riots and what happened on January 6th. So there's not an equal application of the law because ideology is used by some people to do violent things in a way that they don't think they're going to be punished for. Exactly. Exactly. So the tranny community thinks that because we're so oppressed. The media has been telling us this. The whack job liberal politicians have been telling us this. We're so oppressed that even if we do act out, we won't be charged. And if we do, it'll be a slap on the wrist. And why wouldn't they think that? All the evidence says so. All these violent activities that this transgender community is engaging in, nothing's happened to them. Nothing. Keep in mind, we're talking about the minuscule of minuscule percentage of our population. This whack job element. And because of the media culture and the liberal psychopaths, they've been elevated to some superstar status. It's amazing. Only in this country could that happen. And so as that superstar, they've now been told that those damn Christians... And those people in Tennessee and those conservatives, those uber-MAGA Republicans, you don't think Biden's put a target on MAGA Republicans? Of course he is. He does it every day. And so they're the ones I need to take my anger out on. Since I'm too whacked out to know if I'm Johnny or Janie, I'll go get those Christians. I mean, I see that scenario playing out easily. But again, (laughs) with my solution... The whack job never kills anybody. And apparently has left behind a litany of writings, social media postings. Do you think we're going to read those? The Department of Justice isn't going to let us read those because it will go against their narrative. They want this to be a white male. Well, shoot, doggone it. She claims to be a female. All right, she's a tranny. Well, let's not mention that, and we sure as hell won't let anybody read the things that she was writing. It should be released, but I have a feeling there may be some uh, DOJ uh, participation in this. They may not want this kind of these kind of writings going out. It would destroy a bunch of narratives that this present administration has. So I wouldn't be surprised if these this manifesto and these other writings are kept very close to the vest. Because I think what this person has written will really destroy a, a lot of other people that may somehow in the past mm. feel sympathy for her. That's James Fitzgerald. He's a criminal profiler. He's right. These writings will never come out. If they do, they'll be scrubbed beyond belief. Worse than Hillary Clinton's server. You won't see anything about transgenderism or perhaps this person was suffering a mental disease because she, he has no idea what he, she is. And why is that? Because society is telling it that it doesn't have to understand who it is. It can decide on its own, and it can have medical procedures done to help it along the way. How many times have you seen people who said they've had this gender-changing surgery or these gender-changing hormones 
and have fought their way back out of it and describe the hell they were in because of it. And those are people who've made it back to normal society. Some don't, such as this person. John Kelly is also a criminal profiler. And he pinpoints the blame. The blame is simple. It's on this shooter. I add the media, the Biden regime. I add the police department who failed to act in a timely manner. The police department's personnel who failed to handle the phone call from the friend in the proper way. There's a lot of blame to go around, but John Kelly looks right at this whack job, and of course that's where it begins. She is blaming the school or the church or both for problems that she was having in her life, moving on in her life. And instead of assuming responsibility for her issues, she's trying to blame and did blame the school and the kids in a murderous volcanic rage. Carpe diem to John Kelly. It's exactly what it did. Not her fault, his fault, its fault. Society. Victor Davis Hanson said it's high time that these tiny, tiny parts of society feel the rage of the majority. They're amoral institutions. They react to the greatest pressure and the fear of the bottom line, which is financial. And I think all of us, according to our station, have to stand up and say, you know what, the majority of people do not support this. And if you're going to react to the pressure of a small minority, you better get ready for the pressure of a majority. The pressure of the majority. It's time for us, as he says, in whatever station in our life we are, to stand up and say, that's it. You want to, you want to talk about enough's enough? Enough's enough of you people, you liberal people, glorifying transgenderism as if it's normal, victimizing innocent people who've done nothing to these people and blaming them when it's your kind that has caused it to begin with. I mean, how often does Fox put Bruce Jenner on as if he's some sort of sage of wisdom that we all should listen to? And they only put him on there because he's a transgender If he was Bruce Jenner, the decathlon champion, they wouldn't have him on. How did Bruce Jenner become smarter as a decathlon champion and now much smarter as a transgender? How did that happen? He went from decathlon champion, he was as smart as he ever was, then he became a transgender and all of a sudden he's smarter. We should pay attention to him now. Why is that? Because after all, we're Fox and we don't want the transgenders thinking that we don't like transgenders. So we'll throw one on there and pretend that he knows something. (laughs) Anybody out there take Bruce Jenner's advice on anything? Unless you're training for the decathlon, then I would listen to him. He was a champion. Now he's just another whack job that Fox is elevated to some sort of position of authority 
and a wisdom-infected man. He's got wisdom everywhere on everything. He's Mr. Wisdom. They should just get rid of Mr. Rogers and put Mr. Wisdom on. Donald Trump spoke last night on Hannity's show, and he spoke about a lot of things. And, of course, there are people blaming Donald Trump now for not speaking about what he's going to do moving forward as opposed to being stuck in the 2020 election and in the Alvin Bragg case. I agree with that, and I've said that all along. I have said I want to hear President Trump say, here's what I'm going to do. Most of it's stuff I already did, but here's some new stuff that I'm going to do for the people of this country. Enough of the 2020 election. Enough of Alvin Bragg. We know. We know all about Russia, Russia, Russia. You can toss it in here and there as a reminder. And don't go on and be interviewed by people like Sean Hannity, who do nothing but lead you back to those topics. The interviewer can lead an interviewee wherever they want. And in Trump's case, he answered the questions that were asked. And yet Hannity can't let go of the 2020 election, which is over. It's been over for two and a half years. And the Alvin Bragg case, which will be over soon. Those are not the issues on the minds of everyday Americans. How am I going to pay my bills? How are you going to control inflation? Those are things people care about. Are the 87,000 IRS agents going to come and steal more of my money? That's what people care about. And Miranda Devine of the New York Post, she's the one, of course, who exposed the Hunter Biden laptop, understands that Trump needs to change course. Uh, what Donald Trump ought to be doing, and that is putting forward a vision for the future, not complaining endlessly about the past. And, you know, I think the fact that he spent so much of that interview um, talking about his current uh, issues with Alvin Bragg, I think, was a waste as well. Um, you know, to be constantly focusing backwards, there are a lot of problems in this country, and he's able to articulate those, but how can he solve them? And um, I, unfortunately, I also heard him say hardly anything at all about Joe Biden. Uh, I may be wrong, but I think the only time he mentioned him was when he said that it, it, Joe Biden's classified document problems uh, are worse than his own. Um, and no one doubts that. But really, he should be sheeting this all, uh, all the problems home to the Democrats instead of, um, you know, frankly, trying to make excuses for, uh, I also heard, for his hiring of Christopher Ray and Jay Powell, his appointments. Um, you know, don't make excuses and don't attack Ron DeSantis. Tell us what you will do better than anyone. I agree with a lot of that. But she's wrong. He did talk about Biden a lot more than just the documents. He talked about the border crisis, of course, which is all Biden's doing. He talked about Ukraine, which is all Biden's doing, because Biden is doing nothing about it. Never would have happened had Trump been in there. But he also talked about why he hired Christopher Ray. I put Chris Ray in because I wanted to have somebody in there that everybody, including the other side, really wanted. It may not have been the right move. Let's see. Time will tell, okay? I may have made a mistake, but I put somebody in that the other side, everybody agreed to. You know who recommended him to me? Chris Christie. Isn't that a fine how do you do? A kick in the gut. The great Chris Christie. 
again, President Trump, please stop being advised by traitors to this country and certainly traitors to you. Chris Christie is one of the all-time traitors who has betrayed Donald Trump religiously. And it's not time will tell if you made a mistake on Christopher Ray. You did make a mistake. The verdict is in. In case you haven't noticed, Christopher Ray has raided your home. I hope you noticed. I hope you know who's behind that. He and Merrick Garland. I hope you understand that Christopher Ray is the guy raiding pastors' homes in the middle of the darkness with an army of well-armed agents. Christopher Ray is doing all of that. The guy you appointed. So not maybe it was a mistake. It was a mistake. And you'd be better served saying it was. Because if you want people to support you, they need to know that you are smart enough to understand that this guy is a criminal. I don't care that both sides were okay with him. You should, rather than trying to appease Donald Trump, your worst instinct, appease any of these jackasses, but trying to appease the liberals with somebody they want, wasn't that a red flag for you? If the liberals want somebody, you should immediately not want them. Immediately. You don't even have to ask any questions. It's unbelievable. Trump once again was correct in addressing Ukraine and the money that we're spending over there. We are spending, we're up to almost $150 billion, and Europe's at $24 billion. Now, it's the same thing with NATO. Don't forget, I got them to put up hundreds of billions of dollars, and the head of a very important country stood up and said, who was delinquent, said, could I ask you... If we don't, what you're saying, if Russia attacks us and we aren't paid up, you're not going to protect us? I said, that's exactly what I mean. Carpe diem to President Trump. And that's what he would have done here. Do you know that we've spent about $150 billion funding Ukraine? Now think about that. A police officer friend of mine did some homework yesterday. There's 115,000 plus schools in the United States. That includes all K through 12, public, private, plus adult education, career technical schools. That includes them all. 115,000. So if you take the billions sent to Ukraine, between 115 and 150 billion, if you split that just evenly with every single school in America, every school would be getting just about a million dollars to spend on police, protection, million dollars. That pay for a lot of security for a long time. Lots. A whole lot. Think about it. If you put three retired police officers or military veterans in each school, you could pay them 33000 apiece. And it would take 10 years to spend the amount of money you paid in Ukraine. That's just to secure our schools. And we're giving it to Ukraine. For what? What are they doing with it? Well, nobody knows. Because Wuhan Willie and his corrupt criminals in Congress never force an accounting for the money. But imagine that. 10 years. What if you just put two cops in every school? 
You could pay them fifty grand a year each. Again, ten years. Now, if it were me, I would be talking to retired police officers and retired military veterans, and I'd be asking if they would be willing to donate their time as opposed to paying them. Because, Or would you take less? Because then we could put an armed security person at every entrance and exit to the school. So if this nut job wants to come in and shoot up the back door of the school, they'd have somebody waiting back there too. But again, having no one there is no deterrence whatsoever because if there was a security guard present, let's just say walking the halls, they would have encountered this person at some point and prayerfully would have shot them to death on the spot before they could harm anybody else. Possibility. But you know what's not a possibility? That they could do that without being there. That's not possible. So imagine taking that money if you wanted to pay these police officers or retired military to do that. We'd never have another school shooting. Never in our history. If you want to get some biblical authority for all of this, check out Proverbs 28, chapters 2 through 26, or chapter 28, verses 2 through 26. And you'll... Hear the justification or read the justification for what I'm telling you. Now remember, the only people getting rich off Ukraine and the $115 billion that's going over there is Zelensky and the Biden crime family. And perhaps some more liberal politicians over here. I'm sure Pelosi's getting her kick. I mean, she went over to Ukraine and stood there and posed with Zelensky. Once again, I have my questions about the severity of this war. I know there are cities that have been decimated. But why aren't they targeting Zelensky or Pelosi or Biden when they're there? You wouldn't start World War III by taking Pelosi out. You wouldn't start any world war by taking Zelensky out. You might have some trouble taking Biden out. But there weren't even any shots that rang out when any of these people were strolling through public square in the middle of a war. I can promise you when Hitler was bombing England, Winston Churchill wasn't strolling by Big Ben. I promise that. So if you want to get your money laundered, go to Ukraine. The Bidens know it. It's the best way. It's the best place. And I think Donald Trump's correct when he says that this never would have happened in Ukraine if he were president. It would have never happened in a million years. And even the Democrats admit that. But if this thing isn't solved by the time we have the election, which is possible, it won't be. And it's also possible we'll be in World War III with these idiots that are doing what they're doing. You could end up in a nuclear world war, which will make World War I and World War II look like patty cakes, Okay. Uh, but if it's not solved, I will have it solved in 24 hours with Zelensky and with Putin. And there's a very easy negotiation to take place, but I don't want to tell you what it is because then I can't use that negotiation. It'll never work. But there's a very easy negotiation to take place. I will have it solved within one day, a peace between them. Now, that's a year and a half. 
That's a long time. I can't imagine something not happening. The The key with that is the war has to stop now because Ukraine is being obliterated. I don't doubt Trump when he says he would have it negotiated a peace treaty in 24 hours. Look at the way he's been able to hold people accountable throughout the world while he was president. On trade, on peace, the Abraham Accords in the Middle East. He's a great negotiator. NATO started paying their fair share. Funny how that happened. Hadn't been doing it for as many years as NATO was in existence. But they started doing it when Trump was around. Why did China agree to a trade deal? Because Trump was tariffing them and choking off their economy. That's why. He'd have it done. Or he would expose what's really going on over there. He would expose Zelensky post-haste, I would think. And so we have advice for the president. I wouldn't say don't attack Ron DeSantis, but I wouldn't make that the focus of my rallies. I'd make the focus of my rallies. Here's what I'm going to do for great American people like you. Here's what I'm going to stop. Here's what I'm going to start. Even Bill Maher knows that liberals who attack Trump have no idea what they're doing. First of all, everything I hear about DeSantis is that he's dull. He doesn't have any charisma. And also, I think uh, I think liberals, they just they they make a real effort not to understand the Trump voter. And, um, you know, it's like, oh, DeSantis is going to be great because he's it's Trumpism without Trump. And I think they're like, why would we want a tribute band? (laughs) Hey, by the way, yesterday I told you that Frederick Wilson sounded just like. Flip Wilson doing Geraldine. A research assistant found the comparison, and here it is. First, Frederica Wilson in Congress. Well, we want to terrorize the very people who love our children, keep them safe, and educate them for over eight hours daily. All right, that's Frederica. Your turn, Geraldine. Are you Dr. Como, the world famous singing psychiatrist? <laughs> First thing I want you to know is I'm not crazy. This ain't going to be one of those sex surveys, is it? Yep. One and the same. One and the same. All right. That's going to wrap that part of the show up. So let's welcome to the show and talk a little baseball, okay? Because I like to change things up. Baseball season's upon us. The Cardinals open up in two days at Bush Stadium, 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon is the opener for the season. They play the Toronto Blue Jays. Miles Michaelis will get the ball for the first game. And our resident baseball expert, formerly of the Yankees and the Padres, played on World Series teams for both teams, is Brian Bowringer. And Bo joins us now. Good morning, Bo. Good morning, King. How you doing? I'm doing great. Um, we go from funny stuff with Geraldine and Flip Wilson to talking baseball. Nobody can make that transition like we can. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, you've got a job down at the stadium. I know that you're going to be involved in some of the things that go on. There's so many different rule changes in baseball this year, 
it's hard for me to follow them. You were telling me that you were down there for the pitch uh, clock training. Um, it sounds like a fairly routine job. But explain to our viewers, or excuse me, our listeners, uh, the po- folks that will be watching Cardinal games this year, what they're going to see with a pitch count in terms of a clock. Uh, well, it's uh, pretty simple. You're just going to see uh, basically when no one is on, when there's no runners on base, you're going to see a 15-second uh, interval in between pitches. Uh, basically, the clock will get started when the uh, pitcher catches the ball on the dirt and is, you know, pretty squared up. Like if he catches the ball in the dirt but has his back to the mound or back to the plate, uh, I'll probably wait a couple seconds to start it. But uh, basically, once you kind of know the pitcher's right there, squared up, ready to go, you'll start 15. Uh, the batter has until 8 to engage. And then, obviously, the pitcher has the rest of the time to release the pitch. Otherwise, it'll be called a ball. And if the hitter is not engaged, it'll be called a strike on him. Um, and then if there's someone on base, you will have 20 seconds in between pitches instead of 15. And same rules with the engaging of the hitter and uh, with the pitcher. Uh, so um, I was kind of skeptical of it, being a former player, as a lot of former players are. But then uh, seeing it in action in spring training, uh, it was a lot, a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I didn't have one violation in four games. And it seems like everybody's caught on pretty quick. And the umpires at the beginning of spring training were told, basically be as hard as they could on the guys just to, you know, kind of set a tone. And, you know, now that they've all kind of settled in, uh, it seems like it's going to, it's going to work out just fine and it won't be a rushed scenario per se. What about the guy who's going to keep his back to the plate, the pitcher who's going to say, I'll, I'll show them. I just won't turn around. You have the, you have Uh, the, you have the free reign to start the clock on him anyway. Absolutely. Um, me being a former player, I'm, I'm going to be a little more lenient than some of the other guys who operate it uh, because, you know, I, I know the in, ins and outs of the games better than they do. And, uh, I, you know, I, the whole I, – I was down there uh, training with some uh, one of the guys from the Cubs and then one of the guys – or two of the guys from Toronto. And I told them, I said, you know, take your time. This isn't about us trying to catch somebody. It's just us trying to speed up the game. Uh, you know, I feel like – when I was down in Houston for training, it just seemed like everybody was trying to catch, you know, catch them or something. And it's like, no, we're not trying to catch somebody or make somebody look bad. We're just trying to speed up the game a little bit and make sure everybody's on a good pace. And then the other major rule change, of course, has to do with the shift, the infield shift. And they have to stay with two infielders on the shortstop side of second base now. Uh, but I've seen teams sort of cheat. Uh and they're they're pretty when you've got a guy playing up the middle. I still think that's a shift that is taking away offense from the game. Yeah, I mean they they're finding ways to kind of cheat the system a little bit. Um, I think you know obviously I don't think you're going to have the you know the guy right there in, for a lefty and you know kind of short right field, but you're you're still going to have a guy up the middle taking away hits and. These guys, these players just don't seem to be able to use the opposite field anymore. And I still think you're going to be taking away hits, but I think maybe a few less. But then with the speed-up rules, I think you're giving the pitcher a little bit of an advantage also with the pitch clock. 
because you're making the hitter get get ready a little sooner and not and not be able to take his breath and kind of you know kind of step out and regroup as much. So we'll we'll see how it all works out. Gone are the days of Skip Schumacher stepping out of the box after every pitch, whether he swung or not, and adjusting his batting gloves for 25 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this, uh, like I've said, I think this is to get rid of, you know, the guys who just sit there and take their time all the time. You know, Arnado and Goldie and guys like that are just jumping in the box, ready to go, and, and that's what you love to see. But then, you, you know, you would have your other guys like your Baders, your Carpenters, who are just painful to watch sometimes. And I think that's that's what baseball wanted to get rid of is, is stuff like that. So, like, in Arenado, you know, if he gets a, a brush back, um, you know, and, and jumps out of the way, we give him extra time before we start the clock because, you know, he was kind of uh, discombobulated with the inside pitch. So, it, it's not as, not as uh, threatening to the game as everybody thinks. I, I think it'll be a good thing once everybody gets a good rhythm with it and realizes we're not here to just try and catch people. We're here to just try and speed up the game. Yeah, there sounds like it's not as rigid as it sounded earlier, that you do have some leeway, for instances, as you're describing them. Um, you know, different teams made different moves during the offseason. The Cardinals made one significant move, and that was Wilson Contreras signing him away from the Cubs, which I thought was a good move. It, it helped the Cardinals. It hurt the Cubs, which I believe will be their main rival in the Central Division, um, I was reading a grading of all of the teams in the offseason, and this was from Bleacher Report, and they gave the Cardinals a B minus. I would not give them a B minus. Would you? Um. Well, I mean, they they had a, a big need a catcher, and they filled it. So, I mean, that's a huge a huge plus for them. But I feel like they could have done a little more. I would have liked to seen Kiermaier in center field for them. I would have liked to seen them try and sign one other relief pitcher, uh, just because you know injuries happen and everything. But uh, you know when you fill your biggest gap that you need with the biggest free agent out there, I, I think that's why you get your high rating. Wouldn't Verlander have looked good in Cardinal uh, birds on the bat? I mean, I know that you're going to have to overpay him dramatically for two years. But he just came off Tommy John surgery two years ago, and he is stronger than ever. He won the Cy Young Award with the world champion Astros last year. Wouldn't that have solidified a rotation that is, in in my opinion, in tatters? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is they they've never really went out and got a guy like that before. So never. Um, and for, yeah, unfortunately, it's all a pipe dream. And being a Cardinal fan, uh, you know, Max Scherzer is the first name that came to my mind. You know. A, a guy out of St. Louis that, uh, you know, obviously is one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they would have been great names to have. But uh, I'll be honest, I don't know if you're getting it from, from the New York Mets because that guy's you know, out there to win. And speaking of the Mets, I, I, I here's a thought for you because I was thinking about this. What if George Steinbrenner was still around with this guy from the Mets spending all this money? I mean, what a, what a battle that would have been to watch. Oh, he – you got Verlander, I'm going to go get Scherzer. I mean, they, it would have just been back and forth and would have been fun to watch for, for baseball in New York. I'm not necessarily here, but, you know, baseball in New York and baseball in general. The Mets, of course, signed Verlander, but they lost their closer and a very good closer in a stupid uh, celebration during this World Baseball Championship. Uh, and so now, whatever good the Mets did in the offseason, they took a step backwards and a pretty big step. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, this World Baseball Classic is—it's a nice showcase 
Um, you know, I, you're not determining the best team in the world per se, but I mean, it is a nice showcase. It's entertaining. Uh, there's unfortunately no good time of the year to really have it. And, you know, to get injured playing the game is one thing, but to get injured in a celebration is, to me, pretty ridiculous. You know, I, I understand that, you know, you're proud of your country and you're happy to win, but at what point do these celebrations, I mean, guys keep getting hurt in celebrations, and I, I just don't understand, you know, what, you know, I could understand getting hurt in a World Series celebration maybe, but these other celebrations, I mean, I, I just don't understand. No, they don't make any sense. And as you look at different teams uh, and their off seasons, uh, this 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 guy who was doing all the grading, the Cardinals' first opponent is the Blue Jays, which is odd to start out with an interleague game. But they gave the Blue Jays a B plus. The Blue Jays uh, did get Kiermaier to play the outfield for them, and they made some other additions, including Chris Bassett, a pitcher from the Mets, who I thought was an extremely effective pitcher for the Mets. Then they filled in some other pieces with. Varsho, another outfielder, uh, Brandon Belt, a, a, a situational hitter for the Giants for many years, and a pitcher by the name of Eric Swanson. They lost Hernandez and Gurriel Jr., but uh, the, the the Blue Jays are trying to do it. I don't know if they, they have enough pitching to do it, though. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of everybody's darling in that everybody thinks like they're the sleeper team to get to the World Series. Uh, you know, we'll see how it all plays up. They, they have that good crop of young players and then mixed in some veterans with them. And that's, that's kind of a winning formula, you know, all the time is if you can have, you know, some younger players coming up and then still have your core group that that is normally what can, you know, will give you a winning seasons and a possible chance at a world series. You've got the two teams that played in the world series a year ago, the Astros and the Phillies, of course, with the Astros winning the Phillies signed, they probably got the, the biggest free agent signing of the season other than Verlander, and that's Trey Turner, the shortstop from the Dodgers. Uh, I think he is going to prove himself to be Hall of Fame worthy by the time he's done. It was an outrageous contract, very reminiscent of Pujols' deal with the Angels. I, th- I think that you'll find that Turner will be worth every dime for the first five years, and the next five years after that, not worth a dime. You know what? He is such an exciting player to watch. I was fortunate enough to see him two games in spring training uh, while I was down there for pitch clock training, and uh, he is just so exciting. I mean, every at-bat, you're wondering if he's going to hit a home run, a triple, or get a single and try and steal second base, and he plays a good defense. Uh, you know, he's just such an exciting player to watch, and like you said, I, I believe he's going to, by the time it's all said and done, have a ch- chance at the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, you can't, unfortunately, you can't predict health, but yeah, I mean, he's going to be worth every, every penny he gets his first five years. And then after that, it'll be, you know, left to <laughs> wait and see what happens. <laughs> Brian Bowringer is our guest. Bo, of course, not only follows baseball, but is a part of baseball in his uh, job as, as a former player. Now, as you take a look at, uh, the Cardinals and their division and the other teams and what they've done. Some other teams pop up. The Astros, of course, who were in the World Series and won it all last year, didn't win because of their improbably potent lineup, but they won because of their pitching. And their lineup is extremely good. It's one of the top lineups in baseball, and they added Jose Abreu at age 36. Don't know what he has, but he's probably motivated now. And this is a team that stayed very good with the pitching, though they did lose Verlander. But they have young pitchers. And they've made Christian Javier the center point of their offseason from the bullpen to the rotation. He'll replace Verlander. 
I think the Astros, absent catastrophic injuries, and they've already had one with Jose Altuve, I think they have a real good chance at repeating. Yeah, they're my odds on favorite. I mean, they just have such a good chemistry there and have, you know, great, great ownership and great leadership there with Dusty Baker. Uh, you know, it's great to see him finally, you know, finally win a World Series. It's It was funny, like Bruce Bochy, it took him a couple playoff series and a, and a World Series to finally relax and get comfortable with everything. And I feel it. That's what happened, happened with Dusty last year is, you know, he got in the playoffs. I saw him you know, years before kind of make some bad, you know, moves I didn't agree with. And it seemed like last year he just had a calmness about him and just seemed to push all the right buttons and make all the right moves. And it was kind of good to see him get over that hump. And once you get over the hump, you know, Bruce Bochy, you know, won three World Series. You know, Joe Torre gets over the hump and wins, you know, wins his five World Series. And, you know, so that's why I think the Astros rods on favor because they, they got everything, every piece they need in their clubhouse, you know, especially in leadership. Yeah, as I say, injuries are always the great equalizer. Their bullpen remains intact, and it was the best bullpen in baseball last year. If the Astros had the lead after six innings, the game was over. And they showed that in the playoffs, throwing a combined no-hitter against the Phillies at one point. Phillies are going to be uh, the team in the National League to beat, obviously, since they have the target on their back, having gotten to the World Series. Where do you see the Cardinals in their division? Do you agree with me that the Cubs provide the greatest competition this year since they've improved themselves, but mostly with guys who are question marks, have had spectacular years before, but have fallen on hard times? Yeah, the Cubs, I mean, are a very interesting team. Uh, when you look at the Baltimore Orioles last year, like everybody's like, saying they're, they've made moves forward, but they had everybody have career years last year, and, um, you know, so I think they're still going to take a step back. So I, I say that because with the Cubs, if you can have the, a lot of those guys have bounce-back years, I mean, they're definitely going to be right in the middle of it. Uh, I think they could keep up with the Cardinals if everybody had, you know, with the potential they have, possibly, they have a chance to be right up in there. And plus, I think that, you know, when you have a group of veteran guys like that, your chemistry kind of bonds a lot quicker. So I'll be interested to see how they do. They didn't have a lot of guys, you know, playing this World Baseball Classic. So, you know, in spring training, these guys got to bond quite a bit. And, you know, I'll be very interested. I, I think they are the, you know, the, the second-place team, if not the first-place team in this division with the Cardinals because I I just don't think the Brewers did much to, to improve themselves. And obviously the Reds and the Pirates didn't do a whole lot either. No, they did nothing. The Cubs picked up the guy that I would have pursued if I were the Cardinals for a shortstop, and that's Dansby Swanson from the Braves. And uh, they could have had him, but they didn't even make an attempt. The guys that we're talking about in terms of bounce-back years, Cody Bellinger, Trey Mancini, Eric Hosmer, Tucker Barnhart, who's a gold-glove catcher. Uh, he will be the co the Cubs catcher now that Wilson Contreras went to the Cardinals. But those are all a bunch of names of guys who really do need to bounce back uh, Swanson, of course, is in his prime. But the other guys, if they have decent years, will improve the Cubs quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, to me, Tucker Barnhart's kind of the uh, wild card there. Like you mentioned, he's a gold glove catcher. And, you know, when you come into a staff like that, uh, you know, they have uh, Gomes also is the uh, quote-unquote backup or platoon guy, however they're going to work that. And to me, they got a solid catching core even without Contreras. Um so it's going to be very interesting. You know, they have some nice pitchers over there. And, 
you know, if everybody just overachieves just a little bit, there's no doubt in my mind that they, they'll give the Cardinals a run for their money in this division. And one thing I liked about the Cubs last year, I watched them a lot, uh, if you were a betting person and you bet the run line, the Cubs covered for you almost every time. They were a scrappy team that they were never getting blown out. They were always right there. And isn't part of that, Bo, as a former player yourself, isn't part of this process learning how to win? Absolutely. Uh, you know, they have a, uh, a manager who's won a World Series before, and to me that's invaluable. Um, when you have somebody who's been there and done that, somebody you can fall back on and kind of listen to and get advice from or just to have a calmness in the clubhouse from, um, you know, that's, that's huge. Instead of having somebody who, you know, hasn't been there, hasn't done it. And, you know, it, it's just amazing to me. Like when I watched the world baseball classic, you looked at the coaching staff for the, for the U uh, S team. You're just like, wow, look at that. And, and the funny thing is a lot of major league teams around, you know, could have a coaching staff like that. They choose to go with these other guys that I, I just don't understand. I just feel like I'd much rather speak with somebody who has been the big leagues and done it, and, you know, maybe been in a playoff series or whatever, but uh, to have somebody with no experience in there that you have to go to, to try and learn how to get out of a slump mentally, uh, just, you know, doesn't, doesn't seem to resonate with me. If you look at uh, the teams that are perennial chasers, is there anybody in there that could be a dark horse winner of a division or a playoff team that we don't see coming? Um, the only the only team I'm really seeing is maybe the uh, Chicago White Sox, um, and I don't know how much of a dark horse that really is. Uh, that that division's, uh, you know, I'm not, it doesn't seem very strong to me. Um, you know, everybody else is kind of being, being talked about, you know, the Blue Jays, um, Padres, whoever else. Uh, I just think it kind of looks like whoever's being talked about is who's going to make it. Uh, but to me, it's just the Chicago Chicago White Sox. I just feel like it, they have a core there. It's not, not awful, and they might be able to make a run at the playoffs because, you know, with the new playoff format, you basically – be close to 500 and still get in so i think i think they're a team that could you know be at 500 and still make make some noise come playoff time two teams that interest me uh are the seattle mariners where, where do you see them i i look at them to provide the astros with the most competition in that division yeah they're they're an interesting team they're like a, a they're a young group of guys who've kind of come up together and uh you know that's kind of what you like um, but I just think they're just missing, just missing something. I, I can't explain it. <laughs> it's just something I see. I just feel like they're missing something. I mean, they, they were exciting to watch last year. The way they clinched that uh, playoff spot last year was amazing. Um, it, I just, there's just something there that I, I don't like and I can't put a finger on it. Um, they, you know, they, they're playing a division. Well, you got a new schedule now, so that division – you're not going to play those teams as much anymore, too. So uh, I think they can, they'll can they definitely make the playoffs. And then from there, it'll just be, uh, to me, I think they're going to be in that two-game scenario like the Phillies were last year. And all you got to do is win your two games and, you know, you can make a little run at it. You know, Jim Crane, the Astros owner, told me down in spring training when I was visiting a couple of weeks ago that Seattle provided them the greatest competition in the playoffs and that Seattle nearly had them beat. Remember, they went 16 innings in a game that they won one to nothing on a Pena home run. 
and they nearly lost the opening game but were saved by Jordan Alvarez's clutch three-run homer. But the, the Mariners really battled the Astros, and that could be an interesting uh, rivalry to watch as it progresses through the next few years. And the other team that stands out to me as a team worth watching is the Padres. They have loaded up with money. They have bought nearly every shortstop in baseball other than Dansby Swanson. And and they have a lot of weapons, but do they have what it takes to win? Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, they have a good leader there in Bob Melvin. Um, they're going to be an interesting team to watch because, you know, like you said, they've loaded up. Those guys now have had a, you know, kind of a season together. So, um, you know, I think they'll begin to gel some. But to me, again, it, like when you just spoke about the Mariners and how the Astros were able to beat them in that 16-inning game, they were able to beat them on a three-run home run. That's the little things that the Astros have that I don't think Seattle has. They just got that little little something extra, that little confidence, whatever, whatever it is. I just feel like they're the better team. And it's, you know, it's hard to explain. And with the Padres, I just think they're missing a little something, too, that you can't necessarily put your finger on, but it just doesn't feel like they're, they're quite winners yet. And that's kind of the sense I have from Seattle, too. They're great teams, but I just don't think they have that winning formula, per se, or however you want to look at it. But they're, they're two teams that, to me, are, are, you know, on the cusp but just don't have what it takes for some reason. Brian Bowringer is our guest. He's been in two different World Series, one with the Yankees, one with the Padres, of whom we just spoke. Uh, Bo, when you take a look at opening day, and the Cardinals, of course, have their opening day coming up, for players there's really nothing more exciting than opening day other than postseason baseball, I would think. And if you're a young guy coming up for your first time, as Jordan Walker is for the Cardinals, he made the team, has never played higher than double-A. Is that jump too much for a kid now the excitement of opening day notwithstanding moving from double a to major league baseball uh how difficult is that he had a tremendous start to the spring but then he tailed off he's only 20 years old i'm assuming they're going to play him every day aren't they that's what i was kind of worried about when i heard the news that he was coming up i was like well you got three other guys that you really need to get time for like how are you how are you going to do it i i myself would have sent him to AAA and kind of let him get back in his groove. Like you said, he started to struggle just a little bit toward the end of spring training. But uh, I think I would have sent him back to AAA, let him get his groove, let these guys get their bats so you can kind of figure out, you know, what what you have. Uh, you know, we're still wondering about Tyler O'Neill. We're still wondering about Dylan Carlson. We're still wondering about Lars Newpar. And to me, <clears throat> I would have let those guys get their bats improve to me what they are and then you know and then if you need help after that you have jordan walker sitting there you know ready in triple a um but you know i'm very excited for this young man um uh, simon tachi was on the uh cardinal caravan with him and he said he's just a fun you know just a great person and you know he's the real deal and so i'm excited for him i hope everything works out for him and uh you know it'll be an exciting time for him i you know i think he'll you know, get one of the loudest ovations on opening day, which, you know, great for him. So it should be a big thrill for him. And, I, you know, and after watching watching him play some, the, I mean, this guy is, you know, looks legit. And, you know, I hope he can stay healthy and have a long career. You know, you mentioned we still don't know about uh, Lars Newtbar, but one thing we did discover about him is that he's Japanese. So we're happy <laughs> to know that a guy named Lars Newtbar is actually Japanese because he played on the – 
Japan World Baseball Championship team, and they won the whole thing. So he's now representing Japan. Yeah, it was kind of crazy seeing that. <laughs> then uh, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of him when he was a little kid. Uh, you can definitely see that he has more Japanese in him when he was little. Seems like he's grown out of it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, because, you know, I said that to one of my buddies. I'm like, you know, how's he playing on the Japan team? And he pulled up a picture of him when he was like eight or ten or whatever age it was. And he, he looked a lot more Japanese then. So he definitely has some Japanese in him. And he chose to play for them. And, you know, that you know that was exciting for him. And then obviously he had some success and seemed like the uh, – the city of Tokyo just took to him and really, really was behind him. So, you know, good for him. And, uh, you know, let's hope he can carry some of this over to the season. Well, the Cardinals have a new fan base now. It's Tokyo, Japan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, the guy, you know, the guy, you know, it brings energy to the ball club. And, you know, hopefully he can bring a bat with him also. If I were the Cardinals, I'd be selling Newt Bar jerseys in Tokyo and everywhere else in Japan immediately. <laughs> you might even have to make a candy bar for him. That's right. The Newt Bar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, great stuff, Bo, as always. We always appreciate you visiting, and opening day is upon us. The butterflies will be flying. Do you still feel them? I know you're working the game, but you're not playing. But as a player, do you kind of understand what these guys are going through and you still sort of feel that butterfly effect? Absolutely. I feel that effect almost every game when, uh, you know, a crucial situation comes up or – especially in the playoffs, if you're sitting there watching and rooting for somebody, it's, you know, the butterflies come right in. So I would say every player who's ever played still feels them. And, you know, if you're any part of opening day watching it uh, down at the stadium, if you're any part of a World Series or a playoff game sitting there watching it, any former player has those butterflies. And it, it's a great feeling. It's nothing you can uh, nothing you can explain, but it's a great feeling because, you know, it brings you back and makes you feel like a kid again. Brian Bowringer, our guest. Bo, thank you so much. Enjoy this season. Enjoy opening day down at the ballpark, and uh, we will catch up with you very soon again. Sounds good, King. Have a good day. Thanks, Bo. Bo always offers us his expert insight on baseball, and we appreciate that, and we thank him for it. Uh, folks, we're going to wrap it up a little bit early today because um, I have to get to the hospital. I'll be uh, undergoing a, a procedure in the next uh, few hours. And if I can get your prayers, I would appreciate them. And uh, we will not be doing a show tomorrow. Uh, I'll probably be staying overnight. And then I will be back at it on Thursday morning, God willing, and uh, bringing you the unvarnished truth backed by facts and evidence. When you come here, that's what you get. But we'll be back fighting the good fight for you. But uh, just listen to some of our older shows tomorrow, and uh, we'll be ready to go. Love you, Mom. Love you, Dad. Love you, Maureen. So long, everybody. Ah!